0: Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast where I, Brian Gray, dive into my guests' relationship with their work to learn why they love to do what they do. My guest today is Artistic Director for the Chicago Improv Festival, Artistic Director for Under the Gun Theater, uh, for which he's wearing a lovely uh, branded sweatshirt, former head of the training program at the Upright Citizens Brigade, Kevin Mullaney. I first came to know Kevin through the incredible resources he made available to improv students and teachers online at the Improv Resource Center. Prior to Pittsburgh's recent and unprecedented comedy boom, there were a few years where I was really the only one I knew of teaching classes out there, and I absorbed Kevin's podcast like a sponge and still refer students to episodes today. Um, it was really incredible to have that available while I was just kind of in an island out there teaching. So now it is my great uh, honor and privilege to welcome to the show, Kevin Mullaney. Thanks so much for, for being on. Thanks for having me. So in the documentary Weather the Weather uh, which is about I think college improv you said that improvisation can feel like the most amazing transcendent experience you can have it's religious how fun and exciting it is to be on stage Uh, is there a style or form or group that that you have found makes that experience more likely to happen on
1: stage for you? I don't know about more likely I I think what I was referring to in that um, was my Herald team experiences, and um, you know, I was on a I was on a team at Improv Olympic back in the days when it was still called Improv Olympic, <laughs> and uh, I was on a team for four years, and and we, uh, you know, for a good chunk of that time, we were considered like one of the top teams or one of the two top teams or something. So, in other words, we played every week together for for almost four years, and we also had. Um, we went to the Edinburgh Festival, and so we got to play every day with each other for almost a month, and, um, in that circumstance, we got to know each other really well, and we played together uh, really well, we really enjoyed playing with each other, I, and I think those were the times when, uh, you know, felt like we could sort of read each other's minds, and yeah. we were two or three steps ahead of the audience in ways that you're not usually, um, when you're improvising um, I, I realize now how incredibly rare that is um, in terms of a team that clicks that well I, I just got really lucky um, The uh, I think I, I've had other team experiences some of them which were, were quite good uh, I was on a couple teams in New York um, but it's also from observing teams and from coaching teams it's so difficult to get the kind of right chemistry, the right magic uh, of of people who are really getting along and enjoying each other and learning how to play with each other in that kind of depth. Um,
0: so do you feel like if... Um, so part of the recipe there was that you guys played regularly and often, um, and I do feel like the teams I've felt very... Uh, if it felt a bit of that magic with our teams that I've been playing with for many years, um, do you, do you feel like if, if any team were to just, you know, we hold them up in a room for a year, uh, they'll come out with a bit of that magic or is there a lot more pieces that, that have to kind of align for that to work?
1: I think that's a big part of it. I can't remember which that you're reminding me of, of something came up in one of the podcasts and, uh, one of my old podcasts, somebody—I can't remember which one—if it was Matt Donnelly or Ptolemy or Will Hines, I don't know—but it was this idea that you know the best way to 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 go to learn how to improvise would be to go up on a mountain and and uh, with and and uh, improvise for ten thousand hours and yeah. walk, come back down. Um, I'm not so sure that's true, but I, <laughs> um, it certainly helps to play. Well, you know what? I, I, of course, that's what I believe because the. The the two, I think that there there were two, arguably three sort of uh, really amazing sort of waves of of improv in Chicago during my lifetime. The first one was this sort of generation around this group called J- Jazz Freddy, yeah. um, and I guess the the UCB was kind of like in the wake of that group. Uh, although they weren't a part of that group, um, and then uh, another group called uh, JTS Brown. And what JTS Brown and Jazz Freddy both had in common, they were a they they were a group of people, a team, so to speak, but more a show. Uh, a group of people who came together and rehearsed for a long period of time, uh, longer than you would rehearse for a play, like a really serious rehearsal process. Yeah. Uh, Over many months, uh, often without really knowing when they were ever going to perform, Um, and they came out of those experiences really doing amazing work. And I mean, they were good. They were, you know, some of the most talented people of that sort of improv. uh, I don't generation isn't the right word. There's a word they use in, in internet marketing these days. For a, a, a tranche of people who go co- anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know the word, but yeah, uh, I know we're thinking the word later. The, like of a... Of the... A, a cohort, I think yeah. that's maybe what they call them. So they were some of the more talented people from that their sort of cohort, but but more importantly is that they they took that time to really get to know each other. Um, and you have you know with Jazz Freddy, you have it launched a bunch of not directly, but eventually. Uh, a lot of the people uh, went on to things like uh, writing for Conan O'Brien or uh, you know going to LA and getting in, in in various projects there same thing happened with JTS Brown it was the group that oh gosh who was in that group um, people like oh, TJ uh, Jagadaski who's still in Chicago but um, uh, I believe Seth why am I blanking on his name
0: uh, was it Late nights. Seth Myers. <laughs>
1: Seth Myers, yeah. and, uh, and um, uh, Ike was Ike Barinholtz. Or... Maybe I mean he was probably that group. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is that uh, you know they, they went on to such amazing careers that I remember all their names. Uh, did Kikowski <laughs> do JTS? <laughs> no, Kikowski was in the sort of in he coached. He coached. He coached moment, JTS. Right? Coach he was he was one first. of their main coaches. Yeah, they yeah. went through a few coaches, I think. Um, yeah, he, read, the main he wrote a piece up on it
0: on um, maybe National Improv Network about JTS.
1: Yeah, um, that happened after I left for New York. I mean, they were they were starting to rehearse, but they had never performed yeah. by the time I left for New York. So that's an interest, definitely an interesting idea to me too. I think we
0: we definitely have this in Pittsburgh. I don't know how common it is um, in other cities, but this sort of shiny object thing where. Uh, People do get invested in projects, but sort of as soon as a new project comes around. I mean, I can't imagine a group going and rehearsing for, uh, you know, six months, let alone a couple years. The, the very first group that I created in Pittsburgh, we, we rehearsed for seven months before we performed. But I had, you know, there were two of us that knew improv. I was basically teaching my group. How sure, to yeah, had, that's expensive. We had some actors and yeah. we had some comedians, but, you know, it took a long time. But I can't imagine that now. And I wonder if if that, you know, if it means that we can get good groups, but not great groups, because we can't, you know, get to that level where we're willing to go and turn off, turn down other projects to really hunker down and work, or or maybe that's that is just a different era, and this is I don't know. Are we losing something because of that, or is that a problem that not everyone has? That there are still people going and working on things.
1: I don't know. I mean, I think part of the problem is is We we I think there's a lot of improv institutions who've maybe it doesn't all come from I O but but there's have sort of modeled themselves off off of I O and the mm-hmm. idea being we're gonna have a bunch of improv teams like I O so you train people and then you create improv teams and there's other you know there's other places in Chicago that are like that 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 model you know like the improv unit is the team yeah. Um, and the problem with that is that so few teams work very well. And so I think what happens is people, they are excited about the first team they get on. And then when that doesn't work out, you know, somebody gets a better gig somewhere else Uh, Somebody else gets married. Somebody else just uh, turns out to be an asshole. (laughs) And uh, the team breaks down. Usually, you know, most teams break down after three or four, well, maybe not three or four months, but maybe six months to a year. Somewhere along the line, they break down. And so people, you know, keep getting put on other teams or find other teams. And it's just really very, very hard to commit to uh, something when you know... You Know if you got married every six months, if you knew that the average marriage lasted for six months, you wouldn't get be very committed to it. That's um, great. and so I think I think that they're uh, you know what we've had over the years, every once in a while it produces these really amazing teams. Um, and so people tend to kind of think, well, we got it, we're trying to com- create these teams, but really, the team, the teams that uh most of the teams that have been that I know of that are really good kind of form themselves, and even in a system like IO, uh, where the teams are formed by the you know by some outside force, um, usually what happens is a team gets good enough fast enough that they gain some autonomy over who they get to put on their team, and so once they've gained that status, where we get to pick essentially who's who we, you know, if we can kick somebody out or put somebody new on the team um, that's when I think they start to because at that point they're they're, they can sort of look at each other and go okay we can get we can get married we are going to be together for as long as we want to be together and then and then uh, get more serious yeah
0: so in uh, you uh, skipping around certainly in time but you are now you know at the helm of your own theater Uh,
1: what is the approach to teams there do um, so you guys have house teams? And... We don't have teams. We have we have an ensemble. We, we decided very consciously to try a different model. Um, a friend of mine, uh, which we just stole from somebody else, uh, <laughs> a friend of mine runs a theater in the suburbs in Chicago called Laugh Out Loud Theater. And instead of creating teams, what she did was she wanted to have one specific show. She does short form. Uh, and uh, she hired a an ensemble of people and then would rotate those people into the shows uh, in their case they have only four or five people in each show something like that and I thought well that's a that's an interesting way I wonder if you could do that with long form if you could just instead of putting together teams uh, which are fragile and can break apart and then what do you do with the sort of you know misfit toys that don't fit on this <laughs> team you know I, I, one of the things I hated about the team process both at IO and to a lesser extent when I was at UCB, was what do you do with people who don't work out with their team? Or if you have one team and half of it gels with a group from another team and they form a new team, then what do you do with all these leftover toys? Yeah. Uh, it's very... It's kind of like a pain... It's, you either cut them in a way that feels kind of painful or you, um, or you put them together with the other misfit toys and then they just know well, we're on the misfit toy team and... and that doesn't tend to work very well very often either so yeah so we have one group and the idea with the ensemble it's much more uh, ability to sort of look them in the eye eye and say as long as you stay committed to this and as long as you don't turn out to be a total asshole you're going to be a part of this theater as long as you're participating and as long as you are not being a jerk basically And, and so that allows us I think it allows them to Develop differently um, to be more secure to, to more quickly feel like the place they're performing in is a home and that's what we're trying to do at least um, uh, so and I think that I might you know I tried to create teams for my classes uh, in the last few years I was teaching independent classes and sometimes I would form teams and then coach them and uh, I, you know I again I had this sort of it was a very mixed bag. Um, sometimes the teams would kind of tend to form themselves and, and they would do alright for a while. Um, but uh, but if I tried to put people together, it, it just, you know, there inevitably would be people like, I don't really like playing with that other person. Yeah. I could see it in the way they play, and therefore they were never going to really become committed and grow as a team. So That's yeah, interesting.
0: Um, well, I'll, I'm, I'm interested to continue to hear how that how that works out. And I'm, I, I haven't been back to Chicago since you guys were there, but I definitely need to come and check out the theater um, when I'm back. Uh, maybe transition a little bit to, to the onstage work a bit more. Um, the more I've taken a few workshops with some UCB folks and the more I understand um, game from the mouths of the UCB folks, the more it seems a lot more nuanced to me. And as I've heard you talk about it, I, I think I um, uh, it makes a lot of sense the way I hear you talk about your sort of more organic approach to it. And I wonder if you can get um, a, a bit into that um, uh, the, the way that you see this sort of discovery, organic based um, view of game um, in a scene. Uh, so, so yeah, with that instead, of, as opposed to maybe a more premise based view if i'm even characterizing your approach
1: correctly well it's interesting because i think my approach has changed uh, uh, over the years i i have always enjoyed uh scenes that begin without a game and then find a game uh in the middle of them uh or hopefully towards the beginning of them yeah. um i've always enjoyed that approach more and sort of held that in sort of higher esteem than uh, Premise based work, but then a couple of things happened recently. One was, um, you know, after a couple of years not really being around the improv world, and then coming back to Chicago and seeing a few shows in Chicago as a spectator and, and not enjoying them as a spectator. <laughs> um, and then going to L. I, I went to L.A. After, you know, after I'd been in Chicago for a little bit, I went to L.A. and I went to see Ask Cat. Um, and it was so fun it, it was just so damn fun yeah. and the audience enjoyed it so much in a way I'm sure there were a lot of improv nerds in the audience but there were also just a lot of ordinary people looking at it and they, they had no idea what was going I mean, uh, let me correct it I think that there, one of the advantages of a premise-based uh, uh, format when done well is that the audience gets it? They understand where the ideas come from, and they understand what you're trying to do in, intuitively, uh, even if there's not a structure that they can really see very well. You know, I mean, shows like Ask have a structure to them, but they're very loose. Um, but they, the the strength of it, uh, you know, it's not just that they've got you know some you know, kind of famous people on the stage or that they're just really good, those help in terms of helping an audience enjoy it. But I think much more uh, the reason why that show has flourished over the years is because it's understandable. People watch it and they get it and and they like it because they, they understand where it's coming from. Whereas if you go to see a lot of improv shows, there is this... It's, there's this sense of, like, I don't get what's going on. I don't know where things are coming from. Now, as an improviser watching a show like that, if it's good, you don't mind because yeah. you understand the process. But a regular audience member doesn't understand that process. So, I guess what I would say, like, on my own, I enjoy, you know, if I was going to pick how to improvise, I think I would pick uh, something that's much more impulse based, that's much more about behavior, that's much less. Uh, uh, that, that's m- uh, very much about exploring without knowing anything before the scene begins. Um, but as a director and as sort of a producer, like I am with that hat on, I think, mm-hmm. I want people to have a good experience when they come see a show. And so that has really influenced uh, like the sort of first wave of, of shows that we've put up.
0: That is really interesting to me. Like I, I look at it as... I think in the hands of masters, um, either can be a great audience experience, so ASCAT in the hands of premise masters or Besser's uh, Improv for Humans is like, to me I think, a great example of uh, constantly enjoyable, and even there's a lot, like I think that's a great example of premise-based where discovery comes in later and is really fun often. Um, or in the hands of masters like TJ and Dave do a great show that I think audiences love where they it is you know more pure discovery based sure um, as far as I understand Um, so then the question becomes down to maybe more where you're getting at is so in the hands of everyone else uh, (laughs) uh, well I think or like what do you teach students and that is something I I ask myself as well
1: I teach them both I mean because even if you are doing uh, like f- the way I used to, the way I feel I learned how to do Harold, the way I, I taught it, uh, even at the ECB, was the first beats for me were about what they would call organic scenes. You know, you uh, simply mean that you you went into the scene and, and you really didn't know what the game was going to be. But your second and third beats, you've got a game now, hopefully, because you discovered something in your first beat that you want to you want to play with so by default your second and third beats become premise based initiation so you you end up learning both through the Herald Um, even if even if you feel like uh, you know uh, you should start from an organic place I though I feel I teach both right now and and I the the workshops I'm doing this weekend in fact are those two I feel like the extreme the extreme of uh, on the one hand starting a scene with absolutely nothing like on purpose do not even decide you know your relationship your don't decide where you're at don't decide I'm going to be juggling or washing dishes absolutely nothing you walk on stage you look at the other person and everything is in the other person and I love that and I think that's a very powerful thing to learn how to do that well uh, just as any kind of performer um but I think that there's also a, a, a real power to knowing, like thinking yourself, not exactly what the whole game of the scene is, but knowing I have an idea. I, I just thought of an idea a minute ago while I was listening to this monologue, while we were discussing this idea, while some other scene was going on. Maybe yeah. it's from some other scene that I'm getting this idea. I have an idea. I want to try it. So I'm going to go on stage and I, my job is without being too ham-fisted show you what this idea is and your job is to support that idea and then once we get going once we once we both get to the point where we're like ah we both know what the idea is then there's still a lot of room for creative discoveries but uh, uh but we've got this backbone sort of built into the scene from the beginning
0: um and this this might be a good jumping off point uh us uh, Student of yours, uh, you have on your website said your Meisner Esch techniques uh, made him approach the work more organic from start to end. Um, to, uh, or, or maybe you could just look at the, the two workshops you're talking about here. Um, h- how do you uh, l- get students to focus on? Either so if I'm coming in with that game, uh, how do we communicate that? Or if I'm coming in with nothing, how do we focus on discovery on the one side or the other? Um, So what are are the tools that you use for yourself or for your students to focus on
1: those two aspects? Well, in terms of premise, because I think uh, people are really, I don't know, people are either really interested in it or not at all. Um, But in terms of premise uh, kind of initiations, there's a few things. One is, I think that What's crucial is to be in a situation where both people or all, the people who are starting the scene all understand what's happening. Yeah. In other words, if you were to walk if, – if I were to someday sit in with TJ and Dave for some reason and I start making premise initiations, I should expect uh, – well, I mean they could roll with this pretty <laughs> easily. TJ is an, especially is an excellent game uh, game. Um, but he doesn't think in terms of game, he says. He, and he certainly doesn't initiate uh, in that kind of atmosphere in a game way. Um, but I should sort of expect to fail. And I should definitely expect to fail if I'm just sort of like throwing myself into like sort of intermediate improvisers that don't, you know, maybe have never played with us or whatever. Um so, so what I'm saying is, is, it's not just the person initiating a premise, but it's a real art learning how to be the support person in that premise, learning how to, uh, to really listen to what they want to do and actually support it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little astonished actually sometimes how much students struggle with this idea. They, they feel like I've got to if I'm if if I go down stage with someone and they initiate a scene that I have to invent things I have to come up with yes and ideas uh, and 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 uh, I have to contribute to the scene and for me it's it's everything just to listen and just to yes that they're a partner especially in the beginning and especially if you're expecting people to, to come up with a premise and what happens is is that if you uh, if if I if I decide I'm gonna really, you know you go out, out on stage and I come out to support you and and I really yes you and I don't try to invent stuff in the first few lines I really it's all about listening to what you want to do and support that idea what that allows you as the person making the initiation to relax to know that I'm gonna give you time to get your idea out so you don't have to like force it out in the first line the first line might simply be about Letting me know that we're in a doctor's office, and then the second line is that, oh, it might be about letting me know that I've got a serious illness, and then it's not until the premise or the unusual thing doesn't really come out until the third or fourth line. Right. Um, so so that's that's kind of for me it's it's even though people think of premise initiations about the person making the initiation for me it's it's just as much teamwork goes into. Making that turning that uh, idea into an actual scene, um, as just one, you know, you know, both people are extremely important. Um,
0: yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like that's true in any initiation, mm-hmm. and I and part of that to me is really navigating what sort of initiation we're in, uh, and I'm thinking perhaps I took the wrong one of your two workshops because uh, <laughs> that would be really useful for me. Uh,
1: you got attracted to the style of improv
0: that you like, which is the improvising from the gut. And that's what you took. Uh, which I also feel like I, I, I'm really interested in your perspective on it, but I, I really do need help with that. Um, other side. I, I, I always am so, I do a lot of um, uh, Armando style. shows. I do one once a month back in town? And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I hate that part of it is <laughs> just getting from the initiation into the scene part because I have so much in my mind going in, and, and it's it's against my grain a little bit right now. But.
1: And maybe what you need is players who are supporting you better. I think I need to be let, the player or, who is supporting me maybe, better. Maybe, yeah, to let someone <laughs> relax in their initiation. Yeah. <laughs> I right. think another thing that's really fun that, that I've discovered because we've done a couple of shows. The, my first two shows I directed at, at Under the Gun uses premise initiations. Uh, it's very much like Armando but, but, uh, or ASCAP, um, but we use slightly different sources. And um, one of the things I've learned is, is uh, how important the other person is because you can, you'll come out with an idea and you'll think, oh, I got this great idea for a scene. And you go out and you make the initiation and you throw out what you think is the first unusual thing. And the other person doesn't treat it as unusual. Yeah. They, they don't treat it as unusual right. and and what you might think is like well that support person is missing something and like no that's not what's happening <laughs> the support person is telling you you don't have a premise yet we still have to figure out the premise all you've got is a situation an interesting situation maybe but it's not unusual enough to to be a game by itself we still have some work to do Um, and it should be, so it's an interesting thing. When you do something, you think, oh, I'm laying out this wonderful game and your scene partner doesn't frame it, doesn't react to it like it is unusual, you know, well, maybe you didn't have such a great (laughs) idea and you you gotta keep working it. You gotta keep looking for it. Um, let's, let's talk a, a little bit
0: more about teaching while we're in here and then, um, then we can get to a set, but, uh. You, you had an interesting uh, post recently on your blog that at some point, um, uh, it, it's a well-phrased fr- version of something that I've been talking about too, that at some point improvisers must push past these sort of broad rules about, uh, you know, we say don't ask questions, don't argue, don't try to be funny, um, for more sort of case-by-case approach. Uh, one question I wanted to put to you is, um, or I guess the way I've been thinking about it is, Do you still believe that it is effective and important for us to teach these rules to students when they begin? Um, So the conventional wisdom is we have to teach you in the beginning, don't ask questions, don't argue, so that later we can teach you to break those rules. And I guess I'm wondering if you understand or remember that post is, is it possible for us to start either more nuanced in the beginning or with better explanations of those rules or can can we move away from teaching those
1: and then later teaching people not to follow those rules in the same way i don't know (laughs) i mean i the problem with me and and me answering that question right now is that almost everyone i teach these days have been has been doing it for a year or two at least uh so i don't get newbies anymore i get people who've been messed up by the rules but <laughs> that, I don't you're, you're I, the, I wasn't I, in that's why you're
0: the one I want to ask like you're I, you're I that's who I've been for a while is people messed up by the rules and I want to get back to the I haven't taught level one in a while but I used to and part of me just really wants to say like there's got to be a better way than this yeah than having to well, teach people yeah as
1: a teacher you look at you know they they people get on stage and they start a useless argument and you know intuitively. There's nothing good that's going to come out of that argument, and yeah. if they would just stop arguing, then they'll get somewhere, right? Um, but then when I get them later, it's sort of like somebody, is, is, somebody makes an initiation like, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry your, your, your daughter has a cold. We're going to have to kill her puppy in order to, <laughs> in order to uh, cure your daughter, and I'm I'm begging you for an argument. I I Please argue with me. Yeah. Please tell me why that's uh, irrational illogical. Or illogical. I mean, the scene can work possibly without you initiating a, an argument, at least for a few lines. But what people misinterpret that idea of not arguing to the point where they can't ever have a difference of opinion. I, I think yes and is another big one where um, there's another teacher in Pittsburgh who got to the point where he...
0: He was just saying, like, sometimes you saying yes means verbally saying no. And I guess that's where I I look in the same kind of way. Or, yeah. or if someone says, like, can I kill your wife? And you have to say, no, don't do that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that um, I would rather find that higher level idea and start... I think some of us shy away from it because it seems too complicated. Or we're like, we don't want to explain all this. Yeah. But I, I, I tend to put faith in people or whatever... Uh, I don't know. I haven't done it yet, but that's why. Like you've been teaching much longer than me, and I'm like, wonder if he has an opinion on like. Can we start out by saying like instead of don't ask questions or yes and or whatever, we just say you know um, you, you must always uh, c- connect with your scene partner and like react in that moment truthfully. Um, I, I'm glossing over because it's something uh, I'm trying to explain with words, but I think there's a way to go at this and maybe that's not to be discussed right now but that was something I I've reacted really strongly to your post and I think I've been trying to figure out if we can get away from teaching things that we know we're going to have to unteach later
1: well I think it helps a lot to always try to be in the more tell people what to do and not what not to do because I think they get very confused when when you exclude a a certain type of scene Mm -hmm. or a certain type of behavior a certain tool you know when you say don't ask questions you know it's too first of all that's so general and there's so many good questions to ask in a scene yeah Um, and it almost the, the funny thing is that that exercise where you say, okay, we're going to do an exercise where all you do is ask questions. <laughs> and those scenes always are some of the better scenes yeah. in in class. It's like, this scene works, actually. You it still doesn't have to anything. communicate a lot of information. Well, and it's it, it, ter- it becomes a game. It's, yeah. it's a game right off the bat. Um, but uh, uh, whenever possible, you know, rephrase things as something that they should be doing rather than not, you know? Like, you know instead of you know instead of instead of telling people don't ask questions say you know make a statement at the beginning tell say something about the situation your scene partner you anything just establish any declarative statement of, of something that's true about what's going on in the scene yeah. and that's a that's not a bad that'll never be, become a bad habit that's you true. know that's a habit that's always going to be good
0: um, let's do a set um, so if we we have about ten minutes to do some improv. Uh, what is
1: what would make you the happiest to fill up that ten minutes with? I think that one of the things, that, like it, from talking about games so much, it's 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 kind of puts on, especially if we're just gonna like we're just gonna start improvising. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost puts t- it puts a, a certain pressure on it to like oh they better come up with a good game, and it's not necessarily what my strongest suit is. I think I would I think I would enjoy more from the aspect of starting with nothing, but then having the freedom to, once we feel like we have some sort of game, uh, to edit ourselves into other scenes and see how we can take that that game. You know, I always like doing that. I always like being in the middle of a scene and being able to go like, okay, I know how to take this somewhere else.
0: So do you start with, like, should we walk on together, or do
1: you want to start on stage? Yeah, I, I, I always think that the, the it, It begins when we look at each other and try and figure out what's going on in the other person. I'm not going back into that party, alright? Hey man,
0: I didn't want to come in the first place. Why did your sister bring us here? You know, Janet, she can't go into a party alone or she thinks people are going to judge her for it.
1: I guess so, but man, all those guys are like three years older than us.
0: Yeah, yeah, if if there's one thing Janet's thinking about, it's her and no one else. Dude, I just want to try to score some beer. I can't even find the keg in there.
1: I know, it's like they're hiding it somewhere. It's like, you see people walk around with beer, but nobody
0: Everyone's knows. Everyone's got a solo cup. I can't find the source.
1: What kind of a party they hide beer? It's like a, it's like a quest or something, you know? Yeah. It's like, where's the beer coming from in this party? You, you say don't... it that way, it sounds fun. Yeah, I guess so.
0: Been looking for a good quest. Ever since D&D shut down. Man, that place was
1: awesome. Yeah, that club was the best, man. You'd go right. in there, you go in there, and you'd roll some dice. It's the one place I felt okay wearing my cloak. I know. you get some mead and some ale. Non alcoholic, though. It, well, sure. I want all ages, my wits about It's me. an all ages club. Yeah, yeah. That place was awesome. That place was good. Best LARP club I ever
0: was a part of. Hey, did I ever tell you I got my first handy there? Really? Oh. Yeah. And by first, I also mean only. Wow. Yeah. The mead was flowing.
1: Who did you get a handy from? Sue
0: J. Sue
1: J. <laughs> Sue J. Oh my god! Yeah! Oh my god, she is really amazing! I know. She used to be an
0: acrobat. Ah, you're telling me. I couldn't tell by the handy. Not a lot of acrobatic skills needed. No, but I, probably not. No. no. She's real sweet, though, too. Nice girl. Her parents just split up. She was feeling kind of low. And I... You
1: took advantage of
0: her. She <laughs> okay, was you're bad. making it sound that bad. No. no, I was helping her out. I was helping her to feel better.
1: You were helping her <laughs> to feel okay. better by letting and you her give no, you a hand job.
0: Before, before the hand job happened, I was consoling her and saying, "Hey, Sue, it's gonna be okay." You know, there's a whole world out there that doesn't involve your parents. Okay, you're making, you're giving me those eyes. I was just saying, I think I helped her, and she was repaying me. And then
1: you soiled the whole experience Ah, by letting her give you a ah, healer. turn it into this manipulative thing. All right. That's your game. Now,
0: in retrospect, it seems like that, okay? But I didn't feel that way at the time. And I, I don't think she did. Maybe she did. Oh, God, do you think I'm that guy?
1: Maybe. She was. She probably really liked you. She thought you were. I liked her up to you. Did you see? Have you seen her since? No,
0: I felt weird about it. And then the club closed down. I don't even have her number. I only ever saw her there. Hi. Hey, Sue J. Hey. Hey. I uh, I thought you might be in the basement of the library.
1: Yeah, this is where I study. I, I have.
0: It's been a while Yeah Everything okay? Yeah, it's fine I
1: mean, it's fine
0: Okay, I'll see you.
1: No, Why didn't you no. ever Why didn't I really, I liked you. you You treated me like I was A stranger after that night I don't know how men are supposed to talk to women You talked to me fine before.
0: I thought everything changed, you know? Everything
1: was the same.
0: Listen, I want things to be good between us. And I don't mean... Okay, I mean if that's what you want, but I don't mean only that.
1: Make up your mind. What do you want? Huh? Do you want to be my friend? Do you want to be the guy who I talk to about my problems? You know, we sit up at night, and we and we and we talk about fun things and and watch stupid movies together. I want to Will be you your
0: boyfriend, Sujay.
1: Okay, well, if you want to be my boyfriend, then you you, you gotta be different. You can't be, I, I, I can't wants, be such a wet blanket. I you can't be my friend. And men
0: are from Mars and women are from Venus. I'm not supposed to change for a woman I love. I'm supposed to take me as I am. Good times and bad.
1: Maybe. Jim, uh, are you gonna come up for dinner? No, Dad. As your mom. Just, just throw some noodles down. Your stepmom and I are waiting for you to come upstairs and have some dinner. Alright? I can't come up. I'm too sad. What, you, uh. lost a couple hearth, Hearthstone matches? Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't did, figure out your calculus problems for tomorrow? What's the problem? What's so what's so earth shattering in gym? Dad, did you ever date someone before mom? Before your stepmom? Or your brother? Oh, I guess mom? you did, necessarily. I mean. What did it feel like when mom broke your heart? You know, I, I was expecting it. We, we, we did not have a good marriage, me and your mom. Oh. I mean, it was good for a few years. It was good when you came along. But it went went downhill. But I dated. I dated plenty of women. He's not coming up again? No. No. If you want to send a sandwich down, we can send a sandwich down.
0: It's not my job to send a sandwich down.
1: Alright, well then he starves.
0: It's fine with me. Good. It's been too long since we've connected
1: anyway. Just you and me. Oh God. Is that what you want to do? You want to connect tonight? Yes. Can't we just not we just eat our meal and then watch some TV and then, then go to bed? I, I don't know. That's be. what TV I want to TV do on during
0: dinner. All right, you want to sit in silence and eat a meal and then watch TV? I want to check. I
1: want to, I want. Okay. what I want is I want to watch. The Golden Globes, like I've been looking forward to, and I want to live-tweet it, and that's while we're eating dinner. That's what I want. Why don't you live-tweet to me? That's something I care about. Alright, fine. Fine. Is that what you really want? You want me to live-tweet at you? About it's, some it's, other it's, experience it's, that's, that's <laughs> or do you want me to live tweet about you? Yeah, okay, yes. I want so you to, you live, to tweet, live tweet. I want you to me. go I want you to go
0: out of this house I want you to have an experience and live tweet it to me. Just to you. Just to me. Just DM me, PM me. PM oh, like via text. Direct message me. No, on Twitter. On Twitter. If that's what makes you so happy, Jim, that's what I want you to do. Alright, I will go out. Is there something you've always wanted to do that you can go out and live tweet to me? Tonight? Right now. Haste makes waste. Go live it up. Well, I guess I would start at that brew pub. You've been talking about that for weeks. i wanted to go to that brew pub, but you don't like beer. I they know. don't serve
1: wine, they just serve beer. Yeah, well, maybe I'll like beer better when it's just
0: being live-tweeted at me. Hey, send me a TwitPic while you're at it. Show me what you're drinking. This feels like it's going to create more distance between us, not less. Well, it's, if it makes you happy, I want you to go out and send me a TwitPic. Of you drinking a beer at the new brew All pub. Right.
1: I'll go to the brew pub and I will send you a twit pic. Uh are are you the bartender? Yeah. Alright. Uh, Slow night. Uh I guess so. I didn't wasn't even sure if you were open. Yeah, well, not many people out on New Year's Eve. The Usually there's a lot of people out on New Year's Eve. I have a very unpopular brew pump. Yeah, you're doing something wrong if this is if I'm the only person here on New Year's Eve. Say that again after you have one of my micro brews. All right. What's the name of your micro brew? Fishhead. Fishhead? Fish head. All right. Fish pour pour me a pint of fish head. Oh, uh, Kibuki. Okay. There you go. Yeah. About. To have a pint of fish head in the only bar that's empty on New Year's Eve. Hashtag, in the wrong place. It's uh, really gonna help my Yelp. I don't worry about it. It's a direct message. Oh, it's a direct message to my to my second wife. Oh, the old ball and chain. I know
0: that story. Mm. I've had three of them
1: myself. Okay, that tastes like you actually use fish heads in the brew. That's a who names a beer, beer after something that's not an ingredient. That's then? a that's a disgusting beer. That is it grows on you. Give it a minute. Mm. well, knowing that you name your beers after ingredients, I think I'm. Right. Try. Well, I know I'm not gonna try your stag beer. Oh, you're missing out. No, like no. No venison for me. And, well. Am I reading that right? Dog's blood? On the house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: interesting it's kind of a sort of a narrative walk as much as a character sure walk um just probably as much as i i i like jumped into the um the at first like i tagged in i was like oh i'll be the i don't know it just seemed like too easy to be the ex-wife so mm-hmm. i was just the current wife yeah and then we started to just narrative walk but
1: yeah yeah how did it feel to you well, I'm always t- 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 terribly, terribly critical. It's funny. Me too. It's funny that uh, yeah. you know the only other time I think I no, I've done this on a couple podcasts I think before, but I did it on Improv Nerd with Jimmy. Yeah, and uh, this is and totally we were both, this part's totally stolen from Jimmy. And, <laughs> and uh, it was funny because I wasn't particularly happy with what I did, but I thought I thought Jimmy was mostly making the right decisions in the scene and he was so hard on himself afterwards. <laughs> so hard on himself. Uh, but I think that's part of the bit, I guess, is that he's always... That hard. is
0: what he does. I mean, I, I always... So, to me, I'm trying to really um, play a bit out of my comfort zone. Uh-huh. uh So I'm usually harder on myself. I also uh, bring on the show people that I love and admire. Um, but, like, I, I, I felt like... Um, you know my goal here was to have that organic start which i'm more comfortable with um but then in terms of like like game i there was a time where my brain was working on game but i've been away from Harold for so long uh-huh. uh that i'm like just getting back into it and I, I felt like i was really in my head about like are like are we circling around something like i don't know i, yeah. I was i never felt there was a super clear strong game, uh, maybe, maybe in the, um, um, what's the very, was the very first one was, um, the two, I part of it was because we were on the same page, the two, um, oh, the two kids two, at the party. Two the geeky kids. Yeah, so we at least had the, like, they yeah. don't serve beer and they keep hiding, like, oh, the two geeky kids. Yeah, it wasn't super clear, though.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, one of the things that's really hard about game is that it's very... If you have half games or partial games, uh, they, it can be very tempting to start sort of playing a game when you don't really have a game to play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's after... Usually, when you're teaching game, for instance, you know, after a while, you have to really encourage people to, to realize that moment of, okay, you know, if you think you kind of have a game... You don't have a game. Stop playing. Because <laughs> <laughs> games should thing. be super clear. They they should be like, ah, I got it. I totally understand this now. You should have that moment. And and I think we came. There was some. I think what we had in it, for me, what felt like what we had was a, a, a several unusual moments in different scenes that could turn into games, but we didn't quite figure out how to turn play it into a game there. You know, it's, it's a matter, like, like, um, actually, I mean, the, the closest game, the closest or clearest game may have been the, the beers with, uh, made made of, made Made of of actual ingredients that are gross instead of how beers are so often, craft beers are so often named, you know, things like pit bull or something like that, stuff that you're very certain that what (laughs) they're named is not actually in the beer, um, you know, as opposed to like honey wheat beer, which you expect honey and wheat to be. Yeah. In. Um. So, but I think there were quite a few sort of interesting moments, and I think one of the things with 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 learning how to sort of shift back and forth is is knowing also of knowing oh that's interesting, but it's just interesting, and 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 we can and we can sort of we can sort of let it happen. Yeah. You know, and just sort of there's there's a lot of things that uh that I think um, I think we may get in trouble with the word unusual sometimes the first unusual thing because it may seem unusual in the sense that we don't have a lot of experience with it on a personal level but that doesn't make it unusual for uh, you know the characters who are actually in that situation Um, you know uh I, I hate keeping going keep going back to this example, but I think like for instance, I think over the last twenty five years the people the way that improvisers or at least good improvisers interact with uh, issues around homosexuality is very different you know when I was starting out and it I'm sure it still happens where it's just that's you know the fact fe- you do a scene and the characters happen to be gay and and that's... And somehow that becomes the unusual thing and, and you're watching the scene and it, this is was very common 25 years ago. Th- one of the lovely things I think that has happened is, for instance, uh, I, we had auditions last summer and we would give people situations at random. Oftentimes we would give two guys situation of being on a date yeah. and in, in, the, in this audition. And I can't remember one single scene where the, the any they 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 didn't not only did they not uh try and make that the funny part that there are two guys on a date. I mean this may even sound like so crazy to some people. I mean some people who are sort of you know younger than than me. But for my generation, you know, it was a big deal. I remember on our team when we would we would we would find ourselves in situations a, a romantic two guys in a romantic situation, and we were all straight, um, or, or most of actually we were not. There, there was one guy in on the team wasn't. But um, when two of us would be on stage, and, and we would just behave like we would behave, you know, as straight guys in. A, but we're now in a relationship with another guy. Yeah, and and uh, and that was novel enough for the audience that that was what was fun about it. Mm. was that we weren't trying to do anything except be regular people in a relationship. That we weren't putting some sort of weird comedy on it. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because sometimes that'll happen with an older... Like I'll have a, somebody who's a, an older man, uh, somebody in their 50s or 60s in a scene. and I will, And I will randomly the situation of, you're on a date with another male and they can't quite process it as they're just two guys on a date. They have to they have to switch the genders of one of the characters, right. which is okay. Yeah. But I can see like two 25-year-old guys never do that in my classes. They're always just like whether they're straight or gay or I, it doesn't matter. This is like okay, we're playing two we're guys on a date. date. That's just the situation. But there's a lot of other much more specific situations in life where it's just there's something... in It's interesting, it's unusual, but it's not really a game. And you still have to figure out what what game there is to it. That is
0: very fascinating and also helpful uh, for me. Been, my, my mind is really rarely in game. Uh, let me follow up with one... Uh, que- well, really, I'll do two questions from people who wrote in. It uh, sounds like they're rehearsing <laughs> a sketch. It sounds uh, like someone's being murdered. Then the we'll wrap time. up... Um, Uh, One is just about uh, what are the... the, And you could do a quick summary version of this, but what are the challenges that you face starting a new improv theater in a city that already has, is known for improv theaters? Um, If you
1: want to tackle that. Well, um, it is a challenge trying to figure out what makes you different from everybody else. Uh, It's a challenge finding... Uh, I think there's a bit of kind of class fatigue or, you know, take, you know, there's there's so many classes you can take at, at Second City and at mm-hmm. IO and The Annoyance. Those are the three sort of big training programs in Chicago. And, uh, you know, if someone comes to town and they take, they can take two or three years of classes in those places and then you're we're expecting them to take classes at our place as well. So I'm tr- just figuring out what's, what's, the different experience that I can offer them that's that's, that's not like going to uh, you know, take classes at one of these other places um, it's also challenging because some of the other more established places that haven't had training programs are also thinking about or also starting training programs. Oh really? Um, so there's this sort of thing in the air that there's room for an, another school and uh, everybody's trying to be that other school. Um, I think it's also challenging to try and figure out how to um, how to keep the good people we find engaged. Um, but the nice thing is that there's this sort of we, we've tapped into a few different sort of pools of people. One of them being uh, people who have a lot of experience somewhere else. They come to town. And they're you know they're an improviser. They've been an improviser for six years or ten years maybe somewhere else, and they're finally moving to Chicago to be this improviser. And they were the best improviser in their in their theater back in in Omaha or in uh, Georgia or wherever they're from. And now they're suddenly in Chicago, and nobody gives a shit. Like you know they're sh- great. Go to take a class at IO, and there's it's filled with people who with who who were the best improviser in their college group or their. There's there other you know some other cities group, um, but since we're brand new and we don't have we're we're looking for people and so you know when we auditioned people we had you know there was uh, one woman from Dad's garage in Georgia and 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 she had been in town for about a year or so and and she, you know people liked her but they you know for us she was wonderful because she you know she didn't have to prove herself yeah. Uh, I mean, she proved herself in an audition, and that was good enough. And you have this other guy from, I can't remember if it was Improv Asylum or Improv Boston. Another guy from Boston. Somebody else from uh, New Movement in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Uh, Somebody else uh, from uh, Oklahoma. And so these are all people who, uh, you know, they've been around for a year or so, but it takes like two or three years often to get any kind of traction in Chicago, uh, even if you have a lot of experience. So we can sort of scoop those people up uh and give them a home before you know one of the other theaters realize, oh, well, this person who's been around for 2 years is actually really good. We should maybe give oh, them an opportunity.
0: That's great. Um let's leave it there. That's a positive and wonderful note. Um uh oh, do you have anything so definitely uh there is Under the Gun Theater. Uh, anything in particular you'd like to plug for my tens of listeners? <laughs> <laughs>
1: sure. So um, uh, I'm assuming this will come. Well, Pro- the, probably a week or so. Yeah. So I can't uh, plug the workshops that are happening next weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Probably. We have uh, last summer uh, we tried something called a boot camp, and we're going to try it again this year. Um, and it was, it was successful, and I really enjoyed it. we're going to change some aspects of it but the idea is it's a little bit different from an intensive in an intensive you're you're trying to cram the curriculum of a eight week class into one week usually and what we're looking at with boot camps is more of a intense practice uh, uh, thing it's a it's a way to sort of pick certain skills and get better you know demonstrably better at those skills in a week rather than learning 10 different exercises over the course of 5 days that's great um, so we're going to do some uh, some improv boot camps uh, in the summer and is there anything else so you could you know if you signed up for our newsletter to under the gun dot theater, or I'm sorry the com, you would you would get info on that eventually um, and we're going to try something we, we, we haven't announced it yet but we're going to create some sort of educational opportunity that's, that's for people who have gone through a program like I.O. or gone through one of the Second City programs um, and have not found themselves in a performing sort of situation uh, but would like to. Uh, so we're going to have some sort of program for that those kinds of people uh, probably for the summer.
0: Oh, wonderful
1: um well we'll leave it there uh this podcast was
0: recorded at the new movement theater in austin during improv wins which has proven so far to be a super fun event uh special thanks to new movement for uh letting us use their space michelle horsley for our opening theme and of course kevin Mullaney for uh coming and giving his time to chat with me uh for this and past episodes check out brianmgray.com podcast And please, if you like the show, leave me a review so more people can hear it. Um, Thanks, and thanks for being on the show, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Thanks, guys.
1: And um, there's a friend of mine, the, the woman who I'm now a business partner with, she was directing it. And she, uh, well, there was a guy in the play. Um, you know, most of the people in the play had a background in improv. Not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, comedy people. And uh, so we had, we had been working together for a couple of months and I think it was around the dress rehearsal or something like that for this play, and he, and he's like, wait a second, you're Kevin Mulaney. <laughs> I was listening to your podcast today <laughs> on the way to rehearsal, and I just put it together that you're the same Kevin Mulaney <laughs> as the Kevin Mulaney in the podcast.
0: Because I know you're Kevin Mulaney, and it's still funny for me to be seeing you while you're talking because <laughs> I know your voice more than your
1: do your I sound voice. like it a... oh you or, definitely sound like yeah. it I just like I, I had, had no, own, no
0: idea of what you looked like really <laughs> and now I've been seeing your photo coming mm-hmm. here but um it is it is funny it's a weird I don't know that's weird I feel like I and that, since I've been doing this show is very new for me but I, you know, I edit it and everything, and I'm always like, I don't do I sound like that? <laughs> like, I feel like it's
1: it's so bizarre to hear your own voice yeah. for an hour. Um, and it's much more common now. I remember that as a kid, like the first time, you know, you'd have a cassette recorder and record your own voice and play it yeah. back, and it was so <laughs> different. I think people are much more used to watching videos and uh, and of themselves and That's hearing, true. hearing yeah. their own voice. So it's not quite as startling as it used to be.
0: I still, like I've heard my voice a lot and it still is so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. I feel every time, um,